The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. It is a delight to be in this pulpit. I'm honored that Pastor Jason asked me to build a bridge, to build a bridge from the Old Covenant Ministry of Condemnation to the New Covenant Ministry of Paul in 2 Corinthians. So we're going to be in two texts, 2 Corinthians 3 and Jeremiah 31. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 3 and then spend the bulk of the sermon in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This bridge that we're going to climb has glorious vistas. There are clouds filled with mercy. There are waters filled with love. There are shores filled with hope. I pray that Christ will be exalted. And to that end, please pray with me. Father in heaven, you are worthy of all praise. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved than the name of Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it alone is the power of God unto salvation. And I am praying that as I proclaim the gospel tonight, that there would be both converting grace and persevering grace As the word goes forth, may you be exalted, may your fame be proclaimed, and may you, by your mercy, allow your law to rest upon our hearts and ignite lives of holiness for bold witness that gives rise to glorious worship. Meet us now. We are needy, and you are sufficient. So through blood-bought grace, I pray. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to do a little refresher. We're going to begin in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Pastor Jason was here a few weeks back. The shoreline of 2 Corinthians 3. Bridges connect shorelines, so we start here. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 3. God has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. According to Paul, there are two contrasting ages in history. There is the age of the Spirit that brings life. And there is the age of the letter, Paul's shorthand for the Mosaic Covenant that brought death. Look at verse 9. If there was glory in the old covenant ministry of condemnation, the new covenant ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Under Moses, people encountered glory. But the glory of God can either ignite lives to holiness or it can incinerate. And the glory of God in the Old Covenant for the majority brought condemnation and death. 
In contrast, the new covenant also has glory. But when you encounter this glory, something new happens. Hearts are ignited unto holiness and the glory of God is displayed. Missions happens for the sake of worship. Now what brings this decisive shift from a killing, condemning letter to a life-giving, righteousness-enabling covenant? What's the shift? We see it in verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Verse 14. But their minds in the old covenant were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. The work of the Messiah Jesus provides the central, decisive turning point in history that moves us from an age of death to an age of life. From an age of condemnation to an age of righteousness. From an age where there is just letters on stone that don't make it into the heart to an age when the letters of the law all of a sudden are etched on our heart by the power of the Spirit. Through Jesus, this happens. Verses 2 and 3 bring these concepts together. Look with me there. You yourselves are our letter. Our letter of recommendation written on your hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ. It's from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, as in the old covenant, but now written on tablets of the human hearts. According to verse 2, when the law is written on the heart, it is known and read by all. It's like an open book and people look at us and they see the character of God written on our soul and it begins to breathe life. Verse 3 declares that getting the law on the tablets of our hearts is something that is only accomplished by Christ through his spirit, the spirit of the living God. So I summarize where we're at so far. 2 Corinthians 3, here's Paul's vision. The old covenant letter kills... But through Jesus, the new covenant spirit gives life. With that, the law on tablets of stone read by none, not only because they were inside the Ark of the Covenant, a little parable about God's role of the law in his history of redemption. These Law, this law on tablets of stone, read by none because it stayed on tablets of stone and never reached the heart, all of a sudden becomes a law on tablets of the human heart that is read by all because of Jesus. So now turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Our time permits me only to focus on some majors. Oh, I wish I could unpack it. I had 19 pages of sermon manuscript. It was a little bit much. 
So we're going to focus on four things. So many other things we could have focused on, but here's the four. If you're keeping notes, here are the four points to my outline. Number one, the problem of the old covenant. That's verse 32. Number two, the promise of the new covenant. That's verse 33. Number three, the results of God's new covenant work. That's verses 33 and 34. And finally, the reason for the new covenant's effectiveness. Verse 34. So we have one, the problem, two, the promise, three, the results, and four, the reason. Let's dive in. The problem of the old covenant. We're going to begin reading in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So which covenant is the old covenant? That covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Stated succinctly, here's the problem with the old covenant. Lack of loyalty led to broken relationship. The problem with the old covenant was that lack of loyalty led to broken relationship. Israel was given an opportunity like no other people in all the world. The God of all the universe invited them. Come, have a relationship with me. He didn't only invite them, he intruded into space and time. He showed up in Egypt. Look at what it says. This God took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They were desperate They were in slavery. They were in suffering. And Yahweh was mighty to save. And yet as soon as he grabbed them, as soon as he drew them to himself, they turned away like an unfaithful bride craving temporary evil over eternal pleasure. Though I was a husband to them. In the old covenant... We need to get this right. The old covenant called for the right things. Israel, love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, everything internal. Love him with all of your soul, your entire being, and love him with all of your substance. That's the right kind of calling. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what the old covenant called for. Moses even said in Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 all these things that I am commanding you today get them on your heart Moses said the instruction that I'm teaching get it on your heart but as long as Moses talked and if you read Deuteronomy it seems like he talked a long time as loud as he got Israel couldn't hear Israel remained deaf The old covenant was calling for the right thing. But in the providence of God, in order to bring about the need for Jesus, God created a covenant that that had a ministry of condemnation. He didn't overcome their rebellion. He didn't overcome their blindness. Remember that verse that Pastor Jason went to several weeks ago. Deuteronomy 29.4. Here's what it says. To this day, 
The Lord has not given you, says Moses, eyes to see, ears to hear, or a heart to know. You've seen lots of miracles. You've seen amazing power. And yet you still haven't seen. The glory is out of reach from you. Because God, in his purposes, has not overcome your sin. He hasn't overcome your hardness. If you have a hard heart today, you can't change it. But God can. Plead with him. Pray to him. That he would do what he didn't do for the majority in the old covenant. The Old Covenant had a ministry of condemnation because God did not overcome their hardness in the majority. The problem with the Old Covenant was not that the law was bad. No, the law called for the right things. The problem with the Old Covenant was that the law remained outside of their hearts. The law remained external. The tablets of stone declared the character of God. Holiness was etched on these tablets, but they were immediately written by his finger and shoved in the Ark of the Covenant and put in the Holy of Holies so that none could read them. And it was like a parable. People didn't have the law in their hearts. The character of God was not etched on their hearts, and so what was read was not the character of God. Here's how Jeremiah put it. If you want to turn back to Jeremiah 17.1, here's what he says. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. Jeremiah 17.1. With a point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. At the core of Israel's being was sin, not the law. God's character was not etched on their hearts. And therefore, God's character was not being read in their lives. I ask you, if your life was a book so that everybody else in this room could read it, what would they read? What kind of a story would it be? Would it be a story of increased victory in God dependence? Or would it be a story of failure and defeat? Would it be a story of hope or a story of hopelessness? Would they find a healthy transparency in your soul? Would they find the closets of your life open for cleaning? Or if they were reading your story, would your shades be shut, your doors be closed so that no one would know what was happening deep inside in the darkness? For Israel, their lives, their hearts were controlled by sin, not the law. The portrait of God's character remained outside of them. Merely having a copy of the law was not enough to change their hearts. The law didn't overcome their spiritual disability. Sin, not the law, controlled the wills of the majority. And into this darkness, we get a promise. Point two, the new covenant promise, verse 33. 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Here's the promise. Loyalty would be empowered because the law would be internalized. Loyalty would be empowered because the law would be internalized. By Yahweh's decisive new covenant work, ultimately by the very presence of his spirit in us, he would do what the people could not do on their own. God would write the law on their hearts, empowering loyalty and love, conquering pride and prejudice, igniting concern and care. That's what God would do. His character would be embodied in human lives. And for the first time in history, the majority would be imagers of God. Displaying him rightly, reflecting him, representing him, resembling God. All of a sudden, the law would no longer be housed in the Ark of the Covenant at the center of the Holy of Holies. Now we would become the temple of the living God with the ark of God housed in our midst. We would become the ark of the covenant and the presence of God would be put on display through our lives. Where passions and pleasures were once rebellious, people's internal disposition would all of a sudden become aligned with God's ways. Perceptions and thoughts no longer controlled by sin, but progressively controlled by righteousness. In the new covenant, people value what God values. People see the worth of God and it, dri- it drives their lives. It's in the new covenant that people are born to be missionaries all of a sudden willing to do the radical thing of leaving family, leaving friends, leaving comforts, to go abroad for the fame of his name. That is new covenant empowerment. It's in the new covenant that families are reconciled, that neighbors are loved, that widows are cared for, that orphans are adopted. It's in the new covenant that purity becomes a priority, that pride becomes an enemy. And that a tragic character in the plot of the story all of a sudden turns around to become a transformed image of hope. New covenant grace. People in the new covenant have encountered the God of the universe in the person of Christ. And they will never be the same. The new covenant is about the law being written on the heart. And so I ask you, Has your heart been changed like this? Has your heart been changed like this? Point three, the results of the new covenant work of God. There's two of them. We find them at the end of verse 33 and through verse 34. Number one, 
First result, when God changes the heart and creates loyalty, what it means is that you will enjoy lasting relationship with God. That's the first result. Enjoy lasting relationship with God. Second result, you will experience an intimate knowledge of God. Let's look at the first one, the very end of verse 33. Enjoying lasting relationship with God. Once hearts are changed, the covenant will not be broken. The great bridegroom will enjoy his bride forever. I will be your God and you will be my people. Here in that, both commitment and expectation. I will be their God. I will be their God. Their supreme master. Their sole savior. Their sovereign satisfier. I will watch over them and protect them in pain and in pleasure. During miscarriage, I will be there. Through sickness and loss, I will be there. I will be their God. Through broken relationships, all my power, indeed all authority in heaven and on earth will be theirs. And I'll use it to stain them through trial or to take them out of it. Their hearts will be strengthened and completely satisfied, confident in the fact that in my presence is fullness of joy and at my right hand is pleasures forevermore. I will be their God. Are you tapped into that kind of hope today? Are you tapped into that kind of help today? They shall be my people. They shall not run to others, but will live knowing that they are mine. They will celebrate that I am for them, and they will rest confident that I will protect them. When the storms rise, they will know peace. When the enemy lies, they will say, no, I am God's. Their loyalty will meet to me. When their desires of lust rise, they will say, no. When they are tempted to despair, they will remember, my God is for me. My God is with me. When they're delighting in life and in health, they will say, it is my God who has supplied all of my needs. And when they are jobless, When the loved one dies, they will say, my God will supply all my needs. Their love will be to me. Their lives will be to me. They shall be my people. The first result of God's new covenant miraculous work is that lasting relationship will be enjoyed. Are you enjoying that kind of lasting relationship today? The second result, verse 34, look with me there. Experiencing an intimate knowledge of God. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor 
and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The old covenant was a mixed community. It was made up of both remnant and rebel. There were saved and there were unsaved. In fact, the majority of the people in the old covenant were unsaved. So God had to raise up prophets like Jeremiah, who had a unique role of saying, come to the Lord and be saved. He was talking to those who were in the old covenant and they remained unconverted, unbelieving, rebellious, condemned. At the core of their being was disloyalty against God and it spanned all ages and social classes. So look at the verse again and hear Jeremiah 6.13. From the least of them To the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for injustice. And from the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Not so in the new covenant. For God himself will instruct every heart and every person will know the Lord. Look at the end of verse 34 because it gives a little bit of clarity to how to understand what Jeremiah means by everyone will know him in the new covenant. They shall all know me, for I will forgive their sins, their iniquity, and remember their sins no more. Those who are forgiven by God have all been taught by God. They've already been converted They already have a personal, intimate knowledge of God. They don't just know about him like I know about the President of the United States. Everyone who's been forgiven knows God much like my wife knows me. They hear his voice. They follow his lead. They enjoy his protection. They love him. Here's how Jesus put it in John chapter 6, 44 and 45. No one can come to me, no one can come, unless the Father draws him. Now listen to how drawing and teaching are related. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has learned, who is everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Have you come to Jesus? If you have, you've been taught by God. And you have no reason any longer for anyone to say, Know the Lord, in the way that Jeremiah had to say, Know the Lord. In the new covenant, every member has experienced forgiveness and therefore every member knows God personally. Now it's important at this point to ask ourselves, what did Jeremiah mean by knowing God? And he didn't leave it up for us to just decide. Two texts, Jeremiah chapter 9 
23 and 24, he's going to tell us what he means by knowing God. Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. If you're going to boast, boast in knowing the God who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness and who delights in these things. Do you hear that sense that if you know him who delights in these three things, all of a sudden it's going to mean we're going to begin to live this way. Second text, Jeremiah 22, 15 through 17. Jeremiah 22, 15 through 17. Do you think that you're a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. It was well. Is not this what it means to know me? But you have eyes and a heart only for your, dis- for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. So what did Jeremiah mean when he said, they will all know the Lord? This is what I think he meant. He meant that everyone in the new covenant will both recognize and reflect the character of God in steadfast love, in justice, and in righteousness. Not perfectly overnight, but truly, progressively over lifetime. Steadfast love, justice, righteousness being ignited in the soul. Do you know the Lord today? To know God means that we will have such a personal relationship with him that we will begin to act and think like he acts and thinks. That we will begin to hate what he hates. That we will grieve over what he grieves over. That we will love what he loves. When I was little, we learned 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So if you love, you know God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Hear that? He that loves not, doesn't know God. Why? For God is love. If you know God, you love That's what Jeremiah is saying. So I ask you, do you know God today? Do you know him? Now look with me back at verse 34 in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 34. They shall all know me because I will forgive their iniquity. 
They'll know me for I will forgive their iniquity. What's the connection between having an experience of forgiveness and knowing God in a way that leads us to love others? There's something about the gospel of forgiveness that is empowering to the life of love. So I just want to pause and think about this for a second. Four examples. Because the wrath overcoming, sin destroying mercy of God has entered into my life while I was still an enemy with God, as far away as I was from him, his love poured in my direction. Because we've experienced the love of God, those who know God in this way, all of a sudden are empowered to love those who seem unlovable and to not hold bitterness in our soul even when we've been hurt so deeply. Because Jesus died without any partiality to sex or race or color, we who know God cannot hold prejudice or pride in our soul. It's just not part of the new covenant life. Because sin was defeated at the cross, sin as God's enemy was defeated at the cross, we who know God view all forms of sin as an enemy. Pride, laziness, Apathy, greed, bitterness, lust, racism, prejudice, or any other evil is an enemy because we know God. Because sin indeed was conquered. And because sin is indeed forgiven, we who know God have a new power in our soul, blood-bought power. We're not working any longer for God to be for us. Rather, we're resting in the fact that he is for us and that's fueling our pursuit of holiness. All authority in the world has been given to the Son of God and he is with us always, even to the end of the age. All of that authority at our disposal. Why? Because wrath has been removed, mercy has been secured, righteousness has been declared, hope has been gained. They will all know me because I forgive their sin. All who've been forgiven know God, and it changes who we are. So I ask you, do you know God today? If you don't know God, the answer in this text is seek forgiveness from him. You may know God, but even as we're talking, you're recognizing, I don't love like God loves, and therefore I don't know him as much as I should know him. What's the answer in this text? Bathe your mind and your heart in the gospel. The cross reminds us of our sinfulness and neediness, and therefore it crushes pride. The cross reminds us of how much we've been loved. There is no condemnation, and therefore the cross provides the antidote for depression. 
The cross defeats fear because the biggest enemy has been defeated and the victor is on our side. If you don't know God like you should, I just encourage you to saturate your mind in what it means to be truly forgiven. Point four. The reason for the new covenant's effectiveness. The very end of verse 34. We've already read it a number of times. Yahweh declares in verse 34, they shall all know me. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and their transgressions I will remember no more. No more. No more condemnation. No more wrath of God. No law, no more an enemy of God. No more fear of suffering. No more fear of death. No more condemnation. No more. God will remember our sins. No more. Through forgiveness, wrath has been appeased. Righteousness has been declared. God will remember your sins no more. Now in Jeremiah, forgiveness means something. Jeremiah 30 verse 8 tells us it means cleansing from guilt. Not the feeling of guilt, cleansing from the guilt of condemnation. No condemnation, that's what forgiveness means. Here's what it says, Deuteronomy, uh, Jeremiah 30 verse 8. I will cleanse them from the guilt, from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Sinners are guilty of rebellion against the God of the universe. If God is just, and he is, then he has to punish sin. Hell exists because God is a good judge. He must punish the sinner or he can choose to pour his wrath on a substitute. And in love, Jesus comes and becomes the substitute to bear the wrath of God on our behalf if we believe in him. This is the great exchange of the universe. Our sin transferred over to Christ and his righteousness declared over us. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Forgiveness means cleansing from guilt. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? Are your sins forgiven? Forgiveness not only means cleansing from guilt, it implies something because not everyone is forgiven. It implies that you have repented, that there's been a burden in your soul and you've pleaded with God for mercy in light of the provision he's provided in the substitute. Reading Jeremiah 36 verse 3, 
It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them, so that everyone may turn from his evil way, and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. You cannot enjoy forgiveness apart from repentance. To be part of the new covenant relationship with God, set free from sin, set free from the curse, there must be a reorientation of the soul away from sin and toward the living God through Christ Jesus. New covenant members are those who recognize their sinfulness and turn to the cross. The bedrock of our lives has to be the mercy of God shown in Christ, or we have no relationship with God. Here's how Paul worded it in Colossians chapter 1, talking about this transfer from the age of darkness into the age of light. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, through whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. There is no new covenant relationship apart from forgiveness, and there is no forgiveness apart from repentance. In Paul's words, the new covenant relationship is through Christ. There is no new covenant ministry except what comes from Christ. Application. I started the sermon with this summary of 2 Corinthians 3. The old covenant letter kills. As long as the law stayed on tablets of stone, bound up in the holy of holies, not reaching the heart, it would kill. But through Jesus, the new covenant presence of God brings life. And with that, the law on tablets of stone read by none, becomes a law on the tablets of the heart, read by all because of Jesus. Four points of application. Number one, celebrate a biblical basis for being a Baptist. Now that may seem strange, but one of the key reasons why I'm a Baptist and not a Presbyterian is found in this text. Look with me at verse 34. Verse 34 contrasts the makeup of the old covenant community with the makeup of the new covenant community. The old covenant community had both rebel and remnant, saved and unsaved. And the majority of them were unsaved. All the way back to the days of Abraham... Babies would be born, circumcised on the eighth day, receiving the sign of the covenant. Even before they believed in God, they were part of the covenant. And those who baptize babies today have the same view about the new covenant. That there are some who are truly saved and then some who are unregenerate, but they're all part of the new covenant community. And so baptism, as a sign of the covenant, is given to a baby. But today we didn't line up and baptize babies. We just dedicated them to the Lord. Why? Because this text suggests that all in the new covenant know the Lord because all have been forgiven. That's one reason why I'm a Baptist. So in this room... 
There are those who know the Lord. Some of you in this room, and I pray the majority of you, have had a personal encounter with the living God. Your sins are forgiven. You know blood-bought power. The law is written on your heart, and the character of God is progressively working itself out in your life. Fruits of the Spirit, love and joy are being birthed in your soul. And then there are some of you, including every single one of the babies up here, who is not part of the new covenant. There are children and there are adults in this room who are not part of the new covenant. You have no relationship with God and therefore you're still an enemy of God until your sins are forgiven. And sins are only forgiven by repentance and faith in Jesus as your substitute. One of the blessings of this text is that it sets us up. If you find yourself not knowing God, it gives us the answer. Seek forgiveness of your sins. And when you do, come and tell us, and we'll get the waters of baptism ready. Celebrate a biblical reason for being a Baptist. Number two, spend consistent time. I think this text would call us to spend consistent time with God through his word in Bible study, through prayer, and through community fellowship with other believers in order that we might know him more. This text says that forgiven people know God. Eyes have been opened, ears have been cleared, hearts know him. Before you met Jesus, the word of God was distant to you. It didn't matter. It didn't mean much. But now all of a sudden you have new hungers, new joys. How can you stir those affections for our Savior? In this book, God has disclosed himself and his will in a way that we can understand. So seek to know him and open up the book. What a gift that he's given us, that we might know him more, that we might see his character, his ways, his desires, his will, his love, his hates, working into our soul more and more. And you're only going to learn what those are by reading his book. Not only that, pray to him. We can know God. Like I said, not just knowing about him, knowing him. Like I talk to my wife. You can have a personal communication with the God of all the universe. The one who's holding your very breath in his hand. The fact that you're still breathing today means God is still speaking. Live, live, live. And there's still mercy being poured out. Every opportunity coming in your direction to know him more. Pray to him. And as you pray, pray in light of the will of God that's disclosed in this book. And then continue to meet with Christian believers If the character of God is truly in our souls, the law written on our heart, then that means we can get to know God more by fellowshipping with other Christians. We can see God in their lives and be stirred and be changed. So I think this passage is calling for us to spend consistent time in Bible study and prayer and in Christian communal fellowship in order that we might know God more. Number three, Pursue holiness with blood-bought power in light of blood-bought pardon and blood-bought promises. Pursue holiness with blood-bought power 
in light of blood-bought pardon and blood-bought promises. At the very foundation of the new covenant is Jesus' redeeming work. They will all know me because I will forgive their sins. All new covenant relationship is done on the basis of blood-bought pardon. The only sins you can conquer in your pursuit of holiness, the only sins you can conquer are sins that are already dealt with at the cross. That means our pursuit to follow God and to see his law manifest more in our lives, the only type of pursuit we can make It's through the power that's already been secured. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We move ahead in light of God's favor. He's 100% for us already. And not only do we do it in light of past pardon, we move ahead in our pursuit of holiness in light of blood-bought promises that have been purchased for us. Our loyalty is fueled in light of future grace. They will all know me because... I will forgive their sin. That means that because Jesus came, every promise is yes already, and we hold on to it day after day. It gets us out of bed because God has said, I will be for you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who began the good work... He will be faithful to complete it. And we wake up every morning trusting that that kind of grace is going to pour in our direction because our sins are forgiven. Finally, remember that it is the greatness of God and not your greatness that is to be read by others. New Covenant members are sinners who celebrate the cross. God's character is most clearly displayed in our lives when we are less and when he is more. God's character is displayed in our lives through weakness, through dependence, through faith, through humility. This is not about making much of us. It's about making much of him. More than any others on earth, Christians should be able to be transparent with our sin when it magnifies the greatness of the mercy of the cross. In the end, what distinguishes us from a non-believer is not who we are in and of ourselves. It's what what is within us. We are merely a jar of clay in order to show that the surpassing power comes not from us, but from him. In this jar is a treasure. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ has been etched on our soul, and it's Jesus who's going to get out. He secured our pardon. Jesus is our power. It's Jesus who has won every promise. So when people read you, may they see less of you and more of God. Let's pray. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. We praise you for your provision. We praise you for making yourself known through the new covenant mercies of Jesus. Thank you for a law that can be written on the heart. Make much of yourself through our lives. For your glory, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org.
For more information on Dr. Deroshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who rules, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.